Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. Joining me is an entrepreneur who took on the cloud, created this great cloud solution, and people were not as enthused about it as I would have expected them to be. And so he looked around and realized that there's a world of parents who want to teach their kids English. And he created an online school that now offers English as a second language done in an immersive way online. It's called Nova Kid. You can find it at novakidschool.com. I'm bummed this isn't available for other languages because I like their approach. I feel like my kids would totally get into this. And if they wouldn't, I would, I would push them because it's so valuable to learn, learn another language. And I like how like real person-based this is. It's, it's, it's like a, you can talk to a real human being, not just software. All right. But I invited Max Azarov over here to talk about how he built up this business and to see what we can all learn from the way that he built up his business. And I can do it thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first will host your website right. It's called HostGator. And the second will help you do online marketing better. It's called SEMrush. Max, good to see you here. Uh, hello, Andrew. Nice to be here. Max, what size revenue are you doing right now? Uh, well, last year we did uh, about $9 million. This year we are planning to uh, about more than to do more than triple that so, so from nine million yeah. you're close you're getting to 27 so million this year yeah pro probably going to get over 30 million this year are all your classes with a real human teacher who guides the student yes correct yeah so every class is uh uh well i mean it de de depends how you define class right so there is a a significant um a kind of uh uh, self-guided learning aspect to it as well. So uh, actually, as of now, about 50% of the time students spend with our content, not with the teacher. Uh, but the teacher is definitely a critical part of the experience. It does provide kind of confidence boosting, uh, confidence boost to the student, and uh, as well as this kind of initial engagement piece. And the classes, are they all one-on-one? -on -one? Are some of them one-on-one? -on -one? Yeah, one-on-one, -on -one, all of them. So it's one-on-one -on -one with the teacher, with mm -hmm. a screen, and I saw the class where the teacher was asking the kid a question, the kid answered, and then the teacher moved on to another question. She said something like, can you find the cat on the screen? And then the, the boy said, there's the cat over there, uh, something like that. And then the teacher was cheering the kid on. So that's 50% of the sessions are like that. And the other 50% mm -hmm. are with videos and other material that the teacher assigns to the student. It's more like learning games. Uh, okay. learning games, some of the exercises, but we're really uh, trying to make it fun for kids because, you know, if they don't like it, they're just not going to do it. And parents, they, what we found is parents are not very keen on forcing their kids to learn, <laughs> usually. Um, so yeah, that we're trying to make it fun. Meanwhile, these classes are under 10 bucks a class. That's super inexpensive. Yeah, I mean, you have to consider that, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of different countries out there uh, mm -hmm. uh the market is big quite diverse so you know some countries 10 bucks a, a class is a sizable uh price tag uh so we definitely have to address different price points there i feel like the future of learning is going to be a good enough class that keeps your kid happy and feels <laughs> like you're doing the right thing and then great online programs that the parent picks out and makes sure that the kid shows up for don't you think that's the future? Uh, I, I think definitely content. So we, we believe a lot in the content, in the power of content. Uh, and by saying content, I don't just mean videos and like pictures and stuff. 
but really the games, something that really engage, kind of engages mm-hmm. on its own. So that uh, really the, the ultimately what I want to see is kids actually going. And actually we see that very often. Kids are actually asking their parents, when is my next Novaki class? I want to go. Mm-hmm. Because it's not just about, not only about games, it's also about our life interaction. Because our kids are, uh, I'm sorry, our teachers are really trained to engage kids because they're they playing games in class as well it's not just outside of class so in class they play games uh out class they play games so to them it really feels like having fun while they actually uh learn a second language what was this whole thing kind of sprung out out of is it pronounced cloud ike correct yes what was cloud ike what is it's still an ongoing business yeah cloud ike uh it's really a kind of b2b play uh with telecoms and what we try to do is we try to create a kind of like a, a, a white label which means that so basically you, you take uh, personal cloud storage similar to icloud or dropbox and you launch it under your brand so for example t-mobile you know would launch like t-mobile cloud uh-huh. horizon uh would launch horizon cloud actually they did launch it with our competitors unfortunately uh, and, uh, yeah, and uh, this is, this is kind of, so we are the, the technology providers, the telecom is doing the distribution and the idea is, you know, that everybody makes money uh, in the process. Because Verizon right now is being considered just a phone company, like any other phone company. But one of the things that you need when yeah. you get a phone company is, and you're taking all these photos is a place to store the photos. So you thought, look, Verizon would want people to store the photos on their cloud and if exactly. the photos are stored on Verizon's cloud, it's less compelling. I would even say it's harder for someone to switch over to T-Mobile. And even if they do, they're still paying Verizon and they've got an ongoing relationship with Verizon. That was the original idea. That's the idea, yes. And did you raise money for that one before you started building it or build first? Yes. Um, I think we built the initial prototype first. Okay. Uh, and then we uh, pretty quickly raised uh, our seed round. Um, after we got our first customer. Um, How'd you get your and, first customer? Uh, Who was the first customer? Uh, it was one telco, pretty big telco actually in okay. Russia. Uh, okay. And uh, just pure hassle. Just, you know, basically, you know, working on working the phone, calling people. You, you're saying you just uh, cold and called? Luck. Max, you just cold yeah. called in and then you got a phone company to say, sure, I could use cloud services from this guy just, Talked on the phone. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, wow! Exactly wow! What happened. But and and it was a pure luck as well because they were actually looking for a similar solution at the time okay. I was calling. So this is the luck element of it. Okay. Uh, and uh, they did not have any better alternatives to turn to because you know we, we did have some uh, something to show for it because I previously worked for um, uh, I, I had a in my portfolio I worked on building a personal cloud for LG Electronics. Mm-hmm. Uh, for their devices, TVs, and smartphones. So we used it as a reference. You know, obviously, we kind of uh, didn't tell the complete truth that we didn't build it as a company. We built it before as an employees. But anyway, we used it as a reference. It was good enough for them. Ah, you said, and what did you do you know, for they LG? Say you, you fake it before you make it. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I, that's, I saw that's the exactly early version true. of your website. LG was featured prominently on the homepage with yes, 10 million yes. target devices was on there. This was mm-hmm. at a previous job. What did you do for LG at your previous job? Uh, that, that's exactly what we did. We you created uh, we a cloud, cloud yeah, software we created for them cloud too? Store- yeah, exactly. We created cloud storage for LG. And then basically out of that came mm-hmm. the idea, you know, why don't we try to do it through, you know, other companies too? 
And when you did it for LG, were people using it? Um, kind of. Okay. Kind of. But I, I wouldn't say it was like a huge success. Uh, they, they were kind of forced to use it because it was pre-installed on some of the devices. Okay. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I would say it was runaway success for sure. Was it a success in the sense that if it was pre-installed and people had people were forced to use it, as you said, then did they stay with LG devices because their data was with LG? Did they did they keep paying LG after they stopped using the device? Did were any of those metrics solid? Uh, I don't think so. I, no, I don't think okay. we could really prove that at any point in time. So then, what made you say people are pretty smart? <laughs> you mean they're going to pick their their own uh, their own cloud software? solution well first of all it was a long time ago there wasn't that many photos so most of the photos actually stayed on the device as well as well as in the cloud so it was mm -hmm. actually pretty easy just to you know kind of set up a new cloud and just all your photos would go there okay um so only later actually the the amount of photos became so large that um you know it wouldn't fit in the device even today right with the even with like 64 and 128 gig you very quickly run out of space um, so maybe we were just a little bit too early. Okay. All right. And so what was it about the, the experience you had with LG that made you say, I'm going to do this as a standalone business and offer it to other device makers and other companies? Um, I guess maybe just, uh, inexperience. <laughs> you just, <laughs> with so that, I mean, if you're it saying, with LG, maybe it will work with somebody else. Ah, okay. <laughs> maybe it's LG's fault and not the, not the solution's fault. Is the thinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thinking was that maybe we get, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get a better uh, if we get a better partner, more you know, digital mm -hmm. savvy. They will actually promote the product better, and uh, it seems like telcos could be a good fit. You know, which did not really turn out to be the case. Okay, how do things go with Megaphone, the Russian phone operator? Uh, well, business-wise, it went really well. They're still uh, the customer, and they're still paying, so they're still uh, you know. From that point of view, it went well. And from point of view of scaling the product and uh, really kind of reaching those uh, kind of tens of millions of customers that we would hope for, um, not quite there yet. I, I would say the, the kind of user count is way, way below our expectations. At some point, an investor told you that this was a zombie startup. Why did yeah. they say that? Uh, well, because basically you're at it for you know five or six years. Uh, your revenue growth is maybe you know ten or whatever percent per year, so definitely not the uh, VC uh, type of growth. Uh, and uh, basically, you kind of run out of ideas. You know what you can do to uh, kind of change that. So you do a couple pivots. You try this and you try that, and uh, it doesn't work. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's eventually how it <laughs> you know how it happens. And you were pretty sick of the idea too, right? Oh, well, I, yeah, I, we tried a couple of things. So we didn't just give up and, you know, we didn't just kind of launch it and then it didn't work. And it's just, you know, we, we kind of waited for six mm -hmm. years and then said, oh, you know, goodbye, right? So we, we tried a couple of pivots. Uh, we tried launching uh, under our own brand to kind of get, get, set an example of how it would work. But obviously, you know, with Google's of the world, it's really difficult to compete. Uh, we tried positioning our product as a kind of, uh, uh, memory card replacement, and we would print these nice cards that looked like a, you know, your uh, SD card, uh, but would actually just have a kind of promo. Well, the activation code for the, for the cloud. Yeah. Uh, so the idea was that the 
uh, operators would sell these clouds in their retail stores, which I still think is actually a good idea, but the telcos just wouldn't pick it up for whatever reason. I mean, it's just... Uh... It is clever. <laughs> People are coming in for one form factor. They're looking for an SD card. You give them an SD card that's really infinite storage yeah, in the cloud. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You also offered people on premises thinking, you know what, maybe some people don't trust putting their data with Google. We'll let them put it most in their own offices. Don't, yeah, most telcos don't, do, uh, okay. don't trust. They, they want on premise. All right, and that so is that... actually also a problem because it's, it's a pain in the ass to, uh, to deploy things on premise. All right, so you're getting all these, all these issues. You're dealing with them. It was a good seven years. And then did you just take off at that point and say, I'm looking for a new idea? Or did a new idea find you? Uh, I, I would say it, it definitely brewed for some time in my mind. Uh, and uh, uh, I, you know, uh, my son was growing up. My first son was growing up. He was mm -hmm. uh, turning uh, six, I think, at that time. And uh, uh, actually, as, as an experiment, I, even though we lived in Russia, uh, I spoke only English to him, right? Did home. your wife speak, speak Russian or also English to him? No, the wife spoke Russian. So we Russian. did this uh, kind of one parent, one language type of thing. Was right? it so, was it a little excluding to have one parent speak a, a single language and the other parent not fully follow what's going on? No. Mm, well, no, she speaks Russian too. So she, no, she but she, she, what she understood saying. what you were saying in English. Yeah, yeah. Got it, got it. So she wasn't feeling excluded by it. She just no. saw you do your thing in English. She's doing her thing in Russian. You both understand each other. Meanwhile, your son is picking up English and he's learning it. Correct. Yes. Okay. This was the idea. All right. And, and so, it actually happened. Uh -huh. It actually happened. So he, he, he grew up to be bilingual. So he has, he has a very, he had, I mean, he still has a very strong English skills. Um, and uh, uh, that kind of got me thinking that, you know, maybe this could be scaled with technology to more kids, right? Who don't, who don't necessarily have parents who speak fluent English, who can, uh, who, could, who can do this to them, uh, with them. Uh, and, um, uh, yeah, so it kind of was brewing for some time, and then we went uh, to one conference. It was actually a telco conference in Shanghai, in China. Okay. Uh, and and uh, while we were going to our hotel or something, we saw this huge poster for uh, online English school for kids in China, uh, in, in in Subway. And at that point, it kind of hit me. Wow, you know, this is actually this could be actually a business, and somebody already done this in China. Uh, I better do it in Europe because I, at that point I didn't know that anything similar existed out there. This is VIP. It's VIP Kid. The this was a VIP, VIP Kid uh, poster. Yeah, at that a time. huge company in China. I think they, according yes. to Crunchbase, they've raised one point one billion dollars. I've heard Correct. other people yeah. use them as examples of of what's possible in online education. And you said, look, this is happening in China already. We need this yeah. in Europe. From the beginning, you were starting to think, let's go beyond Russia. Absolutely, yeah. Because okay. you know, I, I have I, I I started my career in the U.S. Uh, as a software engineer. Uh, then I worked for Google uh, in three offices. So I worked for Google in New York office, in San Francisco, in uh, in Moscow. So I definitely do have this kind of global mindset, and uh, just my ambition was, you know, I want to build a global thing. I don't want to build any original place. And so you're thinking about this idea, thinking about this idea, and at some point you're, you start to execute. And the way you executed was you went and you got the engineers who were working on the cloud product at CloudIke 
and you said, let's work on this new thing to teach. Yeah, but we had some spare capacity. As I mentioned to you, things were going kind of slow at, you know, at Cloud8. Uh, so people were getting a little bit bored. And uh, I just kind of came in. Of course, I also spoke with the uh, you know, co-founders of the company. Uh, of course, I brought them on board. That hey, you know, this, this little thing, uh, let's give it a try. Um, and uh, thankfully, they, they kind of agreed that, yeah, let's give it a try. Even though it sounds pretty crazy. Uh, you know, for a company that does a kind of hard disk, like a heavy B2B kind of telco. It does sound business. like like it doesn't <laughs> fit. It almost feels like you should have gone off and started this as a brand new business, own it 100%, maybe raise a little bit of money, bring the engineers on. But why didn't you do it that way? Uh, good question. Um, maybe I just, uh, it's just just me. You know, I, 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 I'm still engineer at heart. Uh, I'm not really, I don't really have like this thing that, oh, I have to own it. It has to be mine exclusive. Uh, to me, it's just more interesting to build something than to to own it outright. So I'm, uh-huh. I'm okay with being a co-founder. Um, and you're, you're uh, also okay with owning fewer shares, having people who thought of your company as being a zombie startup still own the share. <laughs> you just, because it seems like what you're saying is you just want to build. In fact, our producer was pushing you to tell us an entrepreneurial mm-hmm. story from your childhood not pushing, asking. You said, I don't have any. You said, I was an engineer yeah, from a kid. I'm not really an entrepreneur. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm, I don't really have that mindset to uh-huh. kind of start and build from the z- from zero. So okay. uh, it does it does help me quite a bit to have some base uh, yeah. to start building up. But, you know, my co-founder, um, uh, Dimitri, he, he is different. So he's definitely, he has built some businesses that are completely, were completely bootstrapped. So I felt that, you know, first of all, I think in general, uh, it, it is known that having a great co-founder is uh, increases your chances for success a lot. And, uh, you know, it seemed like a no-brainer. I mean, I have this great co-founder who, who is more like a businessy person than yep. me. Uh, I know what I do in product, so let's just try, try to do it together. The first version, though, was you, Max, building it. Uh, yes, it was mostly me building it, uh, and uh, but you know, again, it's it's totally fine because you know you you kind of separate your roles. I mean, he had to kind of stay on the cloud yeah. um front and make sure everything was running smoothly there. I ran ahead and uh, did the avant-garde uh, situation. <laughs> so that's I, I you know I think that's, that was totally fair. Okay, I'm curious what was in the first version, how it worked. But first, let me take a moment to talk about my first sponsor. Mm-hmm. It's HostGator. Max, if someone's listening to us and is going to be amazed by what you did in education for kids, and they said, I think I want to do something similar. Is there another part of the educational system that they could go take on, build a business in, and maybe use HostGator to host their website? Um, yeah, I think the uh, education for kids is definitely not a solved uh, problem at all. Okay. And there's tons and tons of things you can do. Uh, uh, there's lots of subjects besides learning English, right? Uh, right now, there's a lot of focus on math, uh, but also there's there's other things that kids need to know, right? Got uh, it. So pick a topic and do what you did. Before this interview started, I kept saying, I wish you were offering other languages so my kid could do it. And you kept saying, you basically kept backing me up and saying, no, Andrew, yeah, you like need to do stay Sp- focused. Do Spanish in the U.S. Like, do Spanish right. in the so U.S., So you're saying that. Example. Maybe do Spanish <laughs> in the U.S., do Chinese, or forget languages, find the one class that all these parents want, 
and then do that, but obsess on that one class. All right, let me say this to people in the audience. If that's your idea, or if you have another idea, you're going to need a website and you're going to want to host it by a company that you can count on. I've been hosting with HostGator for years. It's inexpensive. It just works. They're easy to deal with. I highly recommend them. And I would do it even if they weren't sponsoring. But since they are, not only can I recommend them, but I can give you a discount on the price because here's the URL that they're going to give that they're giving you to give you a discount and frankly, so that they could track how well my ads are doing. Here's the URL. It's hostgator.com slash Mixergy, hostgator.com slash Mixergy. Go get the lowest price they have for the best service you could get, hostgator.com slash Mixergy. All right, what did that first version have, Max? Uh, the first version was pretty bare bones. Uh, it basically had a classroom, which was an extremely simplified version of Zoom. Uh, uh, basically just a video call, like to Windows, uh, teacher and a student, and the interactive whiteboard uh, with slides where they could draw together. Um, that's, that was that was it. Um, it was all just one-on-one -on -one with teachers? Parent would schedule yeah. it? Got it. And um, all right, and the curriculum, I imagine, was not that hard to make. Where'd you get the curriculum? Uh, so uh, I actually found one of the former teachers who uh, taught my son. Uh, and it turned out that she actually went to went on to teach in Bitkit. So she was a Bitkit teacher at the time when I reached out to her. Uh, and I was actually very upset that she disappeared suddenly, right? That she, she would, yeah. I, we would go to her classes and then suddenly she said, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna, I have to go, like I'm quitting. Uh, and uh, uh, somehow I was able to convince her that it's a good idea to try and launch Bitkit uh, Coffee in, uh, in Europe. And, uh, and she helped me with building curriculum and she's still with us. Uh, she's still uh, uh, our director of studies. Impressive. Okay, so that's fairly straightforward. She was doing it online on her own. I'm imagining if she's doing yeah. 40 hours of classes, you could fit in up to 80 people or 80 classes, right? So your first 80 students would be covered by her? Maybe uh, more? Well, well, we didn't rely on her as, as the only teacher. Uh, so she, she did develop curriculum, but as a teacher, I think at the start, we had maybe like five teachers or so, maybe 10, okay. uh, kind of handpicked. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, we basically just told them, hey, we'll just pay you no matter what, whether you get the bookings or not, uh, as long as you stay with us. And thankfully, we were able to convince some of them to actually do that. How'd you get your first parents to sign up? Uh, so first parents were actually colleagues. Uh, we kind of forced them to sign up and told them, hey, you have to try this. Um, and uh, after that, we went to um, uh, uh, influencers, to bloggers. Uh, and basically, we begged them, uh, well, I, I begged them uh, to take our money and uh, write about us. To take your um, money? You want to do paid articles, paid reviews by yes, them? Okay. Yes, yes. And did they say yes? No, nobody would, nobody would, would write. Uh, no, absolutely okay. not. I mean, uh, you know how the bloggers are. <laughs> I don't. I'm doing this interview for free. Maybe I should be charging. No, I, yes, I mean, exactly. I, I know actually that for some people, it's a real line that they can't accept money. But I didn't realize that in the education space, there are influencers, parents based influencers who would take money. Okay, that makes sense. Did they take your money? I heard that there was some challenges in getting them to say yes to you. Of course, yes. Uh, when when you were not known, uh, basically they're putting their reputation on the line, right? To, uh, by recommending you. And if your product is shit, then 
you know, they're in trouble. Uh, our product was not shit. It was actually good, but still it took some convincing to uh, uh, actually get them jump on board. And uh, we got many no's, uh, but we did get a few yes, yeses. So which was, was it enough. effective? Yes. Uh, early influencers were very effective. Uh, they were basically working better than Facebook, better than Google, um, because uh, they had this uh, early adopter audience uh, that was following them. And uh, yeah, it was effective. Okay. And so you're starting to get teachers in. You're st- I mean, yeah, you've got teachers in, you've got parents, you've got kids going in through the program. As they were mm-hmm. using it, what did you learn that wasn't working? What did you learn that was working? Uh, well, we were concerned that um, some parents and, and kids might be a little, uh, uh, let's say, confused by the fact that the teacher did not speak their language, right, and could not really explain anything during the class uh, in their native tongue. They didn't um, speak Russian at all. I know you launched Beyond Russia, no. but they, they just spoke nothing but English. No. Yeah. So they didn't speak any Russian or Polish or okay. any other language. Uh, and they had to completely rely on English and on uh, what we call the TPR, which is kind of the term for uh, essentially using your gestures to explain things. Um, uh, gestures as well as uh, visual aids, because we did have curriculum slides, uh-huh. so they could use that as well to back up their uh, narrative. And uh, uh, in theory, it, 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 I mean, actually it did work. It did end up working. So you can actually teach language like this. And if you think about it, I mean, obviously you can because everybody starts with like zero, right? When you were just born, you didn't have any language to rely on. You were just kind of figuring things out as you went. And uh, same thing here. It's just um, uh, maybe we're a little bit even more concerned about the parents, whether they would actually believe that this was possible. And there were were some skeptics, uh, but when they saw the actual trial class and when they saw that the, the kid actually was engaged during the class, even though he spoke, you know, no English whatsoever. Uh, this was really a very powerful uh, motivator for them to sign up. Okay. And so what did you learn that wasn't working? Good question. What did you learn that wasn't working? Um, hard to say. Uh, you, you're going to caught me off guard here. <laughs> <laughs> did parents I think want... it went relatively uh-huh. smoothly. Uh, maybe, yeah, one thing that we learned pretty early on, not everybody pay for expensive teachers. Yeah, that, that's actually a good point. Uh, because initially we would only hire teachers from uh, like posh countries, like the US, uh, UK, things like that. And uh, obviously uh, in that case, the cost of the class would be, you know, well above 20 bucks. Um, and uh, not everybody could afford that. So we very quickly realized that and we kind of pivoted to uh, what we call bilingual teachers. Um, which you know would come from basically anywhere in the world where you know there's uh, English is spoken, uh, but uh, lots of them actually came from uh, uh, Philippines, former U.S. colony. Or I don't know whether you know it's it's the right term for it, but the English is pretty prevalent there. We don't use the word colony here; it embarrasses us because we fought sorry, against being a colony. And no. <laughs> You know what? That kind of explains why I was looking at SEMrush and I saw that you got a bunch of traffic from the Philippines and I didn't understand why. It's teachers coming in from the Philippines? Yes, many teachers. We have many bilingual teachers from Philippines. Okay. All right. And so I see that. 
going to bloggers is a good way to get early adopters, but what did you do to get an ongoing stream of students to come in? Where did you find the, the pockets of parents who are willing to do this consistently? Uh, well, thankfully, we uh, our audience is pretty well defined. Basically, it's moms, uh, and you know that that's that's actually another learning, which is pretty disheartening, but it is what it is. Dads don't care about you know their kids learning, unfortunately. I mean, we have very few dads who actually uh, make purchase for their kids. Mostly, it's done by their moms. There, there you go. I said it. Okay. <laughs> that's yeah. Please up your game. <laughs> you know what? The truth is that I want to do this, but I could see that if Olivia takes this on, it's going to happen. Like there are things that I want to get my kids into. She wanted to get them into rock climbing. They did a rock climbing class yesterday. So I, I get that that even is true in our family. So then where'd you find moms? I guess they're on Facebook. Is that what it is? Uh, well, uh, yeah, lots of moms are on Facebook, uh, uh, Instagram. It depends on the market. So, for example, in Russia, we found Instagram is a lot more uh, kind of powerful uh, promotion platform. Uh, in uh, Poland, uh, that was Facebook. Uh, in Turkey, I would say 50-50. Uh, both platforms work pretty well. So we kind of started the, uh, you know, good and tried uh, performance marketing uh, as well, both Facebook and, uh, and Google. All right. I should say I'm using SEMrush to check on your traffic and to get a sense of where it's coming from and what content you're doing. Do you use SEMrush? They're my sponsor. Uh, not yet, but uh, maybe we will. All right. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to give you uh, free access to SEMrush, you and everyone who's listening. If you want to get a sense of where a, com a company is getting their traffic, what you could do to grow your traffic, I highly recommend that you check out SEMrush. By the way, I don't want to I don't want to start calling out all your competitors, but I could see other competitors who are in your space or people whose, whose sites are being used. Like here, actually, main organic competitors, class marketing, LLC, online teaching review.com. Uh, oh, admitted. Anyway, you could start to see, you know them. You can start to see who the main organic competitors are. You can see what's working for them and then copy their best ideas and improve on them and find some new ideas for getting traffic. SEMrush is great. Many of my guests have said that they've used it. I'm going to give you, Max, and everyone listening free access to it. Here's the URL that's going to do it. It's mixergy.com slash semrush, M-I-X-E-R-G-Y.com slash S-E-M-R-U-S-H dot, uh, dot nothing, mixergy.com slash semrush. From the beginning, you decided to go international. You're the guy who keeps telling me about focus, and I admire that focus. Why did you in the beginning say we're going to go into multiple countries instead of saying we'll focus on Russia? Uh, good question. I think that uh, maybe part of the equation was that actually in Russia, there were some pretty strong competitors who were likely to pivot in the kids space. Uh, so we had a company who was, you know, basically running for probably about four to five years at that point, raised a significant amount of money and they were focusing on adults, but you know, obviously, it wouldn't take a lot of thinking to uh, to to say that they will eventually try kids as well, which actually they did. Uh, so maybe that was part of the thinking, but also just you know, personal interest. Sometimes you just things do things because you want to, and I I just wanted to do something that was international, uh, and in you know, it turned out to be a good idea in in hindsight. Um, and the reason why is because it allows us to grow a lot faster than any original competitors could. Uh, because the, basically you can only go, grow as fast as the market expands. 
And in our case, the market is uh, parents who decided to take the jump to online learning. Uh, and, um, you know, it's just, especially before the COVID, it was just not happening that fast. Uh, and by being international, by being in multiple markets, you could essentially, you know, triple, quadruple, you know, 10x your growth compared to any original competitor. How'd you pick, uh, you did Russia, Turkey, and where else? Uh, and Poland. How'd you pick those three countries? Uh, good question. I don't really remember. How did you do it? Uh, I think we just looked in the neighborhood, uh, you know, what would be the uh, kind of uh, different markets that would not be too different from each other, but still they would represent different kind of uh, areas of the, uh, uh, of the world. And uh, Russia is obviously a good pre- representation of uh, East Europe. Poland is, you know, a good representation of West Europe, although, you know, some would agree, would disagree with that. Uh, but I think it's, you know, it's, it's a great country. Uh, and uh, Turkey is, uh, you know, really, really good representation of Middle East for us. So you just wanted representations. Why not go to Germany then? Germany is a really advanced tech com- country. Too tough. Too tough. Oh, too competitive. It's, it, actually, it's, it's not true. Germany is not an advanced tech com- uh, country. Absolutely no? not. It's actually very backwards in conservative country in terms of tech. Um, but it's, uh, you know, in other in other senses, it's definitely what makes you say that. What makes you say that? I keep hearing that Germany is where I should have gone to uh, <laughs> do my interviews with European entrepreneurs. I ended up. No, no ended as, far, up as, far, as far as yeah, as far as people uh, building companies, maybe that's the case. But as far as actual consumers adopting technologies, Germany is not really the, uh, the kind of the first uh, and uh, early adopter type, type of market. I don't know if whatever is the reason, maybe life is just too good for average German consumer okay. and they, they just don't have any motivation to kind of seek for, you know, solutions out there. Uh, but uh, what we found is with online learning, Germany uh, came in uh, much, much later for us. So we were actually, I think about two years after we launched in uh, our initial countries. Uh, so the next year we actually did try Germany and we failed. Uh, basically, we kind of launched, we translated everything uh, and crickets. Yeah, basically nobody. <laughs> okay. We even hired agency in Germany to do the promotion for us. Uh-huh. And basically we got crickets. Uh, uh-huh. But the year later, actually after the, uh, when the pandemic hit, that, that's when Germany started actually uh, picking things up and uh, we saw some traction there. You know what? I've noticed that countries like Germany, France, don't uh, Spain, they don't, well, maybe Spain is different actually. I don't remember, but they don't have posters everywhere for learn English. I mean, before the internet, there were learn English classes all over the world, right? I, I think yeah. I'd noticed that more in countries that had more of a struggle, like Argentina, mm-hmm. you know? Is it that maybe parents are already getting the English, the English lessons they need from their schools in Germany? Is it that maybe parents are just not as, as hungry to get their kids to learn other languages and make money outside of the country? Is that what it is? Do you know? Uh, could be, could be, yes. Uh, we, obviously, I don't know the exact answer because uh, you know every parent has their own. Uh, but uh, it, it is true that um, I, you know it's true what you say. Although um, I would say that uh, uh, maybe what helps us is we don't really kind of position our program as a replacement for school. Mm-hmm. And even even if you have a great school, very unlikely you're getting. A, uh, high quality speaking practice uh, at school, right? Because uh, 
very few teachers actually fluently speak English themselves, mm-hmm. strangely enough. <laughs> but just as I guess not not every trainer, uh, not every coach actually plays himself very well, right? So same same with languages, I suppose. Um, so so yeah, maybe that helps us a little bit in those countries where. And another thing that helps is uh, now that the world has become a lot more kind of global, thanks to video conferencing that we're using right now, uh, and thanks to you know a push of a global pandemic that forced yeah. us to become global, uh, parents don't really think in terms of like, oh, I have to make my money outside. They think in terms of, wow, I want to work for Google. By you know, I want to live in Germany and work for Google, mm-hmm. and I can do it now because there is a remote work possible. And I think they're saying the same thing for, for kids. So yeah, you absolutely. were doing, you were doing a lot of customer support in the beginning. You're running a company, you got a lot going on. You're developing the first version of the program and still you push yourself to do customer support. You'd spend over an hour on the phone with a client. What did you learn from talking to them? What did you get that allowed you to either improve the product or improve the marketing? Well, I guess one, one thing I learned, which is, um, um, you know, I guess standard learning for anybody who starts doing customer service that they will always be uh, unsatisfied and angry customers, no matter how good your product is. Uh, so really kind of learn to calibrate my, uh, my feedback loop uh, and, uh, you know, uh, to take things with grain of salt. Uh, I also learned that there's a lot of uh, bored women out there who just need, need somebody to talk ah, to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, they can easily. So I also learned that I'm really bad at customer support because the reason why, you know, if, if our customer support person today spends one hour with the customer, we would probably fire this person because <laughs> you have to know how to end the conversation, right? When you, when you, when, when you see that it's not going, uh, then, then it starts going beyond the customer support issues. And I just didn't know how to do it. So I'm, I'm terrible at customer support. That, that was pretty probably the main learning. So I need to hire somebody else to do it. Speaking of uh, letting some people go, there are some people who weren't growing as fast as the company. You had to let them go. What, mm-hmm. how do you, what do you mean by that? Describe what's go, what was going on. So really when the company is growing quickly, uh, there's really two things that can happen. One of them is the, uh, the people that, that were with you all this time, uh, they grow with the company and they, fill in the new roles because essentially i mean even for myself right i started as a ceo of a company with like five people right then one year later i had to run the company with like uh, 20 people then one year later it was 100 people now it's over 300 people and i have to up my game every single year and same thing for every employee and some people they just kind of fall behind unfortunately or i mean Maybe not unfortunately, it's just kind of their, their nature. Uh-huh. Maybe they're just not built for this. And uh, we did kept, have a couple of cases of that. How hard is it to let go of somebody who's worked really hard up until a point, but you just don't need them anymore? Do you have to get past that mentally or is it comfortable? No, it's, uh, you know, I think, actually, I think as, as, as managers, uh, being able to let somebody go, this is the hardest skill that you can have. But it's, it's also essential because if you don't do it, uh, then, you know, your team will go to waste, right? Because the team dynamics will go down the drain. Uh, so you have to do it. It's difficult. It's tough. But uh, you kind of have to build the muscle for it. 
and I don't think I'm still as good as I should be at this. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, so noticing it I'm... is it is the hard part noticing it or is it getting yourself to take action fast enough? Uh, the second part, the second ah. part. Uh, you know, when when is it? When, when do you cross the line when you have to say, okay, this is not work, right? So you have to. Uh, I guess it's just an experience that tells you that when is that line. Usually people wait for too long. And that's actually my problem is I think I haven't done enough of as a manager. I hasn't I haven't done enough as a leader. I should be adjusting how I explain this. Do you are recognize you, you that yourself? You, uh you mean that it was your fault that uh the Yeah, the that I was focused too much grow? on big issues and not enough on coaching this person focused too much on mm -hmm. other things and didn't really bring out the best in this person i saw something in them when i hired them it's not there now i i need to bring it out mm -hmm. uh actually i didn't have that i i no. uh, so What's my yours? my kind of in it my, my yeah my initial impulse was also always to fire people because i i was extremely demanding uh to know how they performed and i was like okay you you didn't do it okay bye bye and i actually had to learn myself to to, to stop and pause and say, okay, what did I do wrong here? Okay. Maybe, maybe there's something we can improve. So for me, it actually went from the another way um, uh, backwards. But, um, you know, it, it's still a challenge to find this right uh, time when, uh, when, and actually uh, today, what we do is uh, we try to change people's roles. So not necessarily you have to let somebody go, but sometimes you just have to talk to them and say, hey, you know what, um, you're a director now, but you know, yeah. maybe this, this title is not really for you. Maybe we should, uh, maybe you should be an architect. And uh, we actually had quite a few of those discussions as well. And thankfully, uh, people were actually quite, quite okay with that. And uh, we, we have some people who are still with us uh, filling these roles. How much money would you say you put into NovaKid? Like how much investment so, money went into it? Uh, well, I mean, like PC money uh, altogether. Yeah. Uh, at this point, it's close to forty million. Forty. Uh, I mean, we yeah, we didn't okay. use it all, but uh, you know, that's that's what how much was invested in the company. Okay, and there was a period, and well, this was total, right? Even back when you were doing the cloud business, part of that forty million went into that. No, uh, cloud business was not really that investment uh, intensive. I think we only really? raised about one million, yeah, one million dollars in, in total for that. So yeah. So where's the money? I would have thought point. that. I would have thought the cloud infrastructure, the cloud uh, enterprise sales would have been more expensive. No, education is more. Yes, definitely. Well, because wow. it scales better. It scales better. It scales faster. That, and does the money go mostly into into advertising? Because you break even. Don't you break um, even on 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 classes if not make a profit on them? Sure. Yeah. So on class, the unit economics is positive. Is positive. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, basically, if you want to grow uh, ahead of the uh, ahead of the market, you want to grow ahead of the competitors. Uh, you have to invest aggressively, and we invest in brand advertising. We invest in uh, product development a lot, okay. uh, scaling up our content operations. So basically, that's that's where the money goes. Wow. There was a period there where you almost ran out of money. Yes, uh, there was this uh, period uh, very early on, um, and uh, uh, yeah, thankfully we were bailed out by one of our early investors, who basically gave us initial tranche of financing before we found a co-investor. Which you know, usually what VCs want, they want to see somebody uh, join yeah. them in the round. 
So yeah, that, that was really a lucky break for us. And this investor said that, said, I need you to bring someone up, I'll, I'll invest along with, with someone else. You couldn't get someone else in fast enough. And they said, all right, we'll yeah. come in anyway. And what, yeah. what was it, you, you named the type of investment that it was, what was it that they came in with? They just did a tranche. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Reg- what I mean, yeah, basically they just transferred the money to our, to our to, they just transferred the cash. Just basic, was it a basic investment? Was it where they were taking equity in the company? Yeah, basic, yeah, basic equity investment. No, nothing, nothing too fancy there. All right. By the way, we talked a little bit about v, uh, it's VipKid. Do you see what's going on mm-hmm. in China with them? That uh, well, we, I mean, obviously we don't see from the inside. I'm pretty sure it's it's it's, it's you know it's China is just changing up their, their rules <laughs> on education. Like I guess one of the latest things was they are not allowed to offer any more classes by teachers outside the country so they china does not want their students to be taught by by teachers who are not chinese and in the country i think yes yes that's correct that's correct um definitely it's it's a huge huge uh devastating blow to uh and you know um obviously you know i i would not want anything like this happen to us and hopefully hopefully the markets we're in will not be like china anytime soon we don't expect them to be but uh yeah definitely this was the this is the risk operating in in a uh, kind of heavily regulated and centralized market like china right suddenly you get things like this happening essentially obliterating your business model overnight yeah well um, not not only that not only that but also mm -hmm. they require all these companies to become uh uh uh, what is it called uh non-profit so if you're a VC company and suddenly you have to become nonprofit, how do you like that? So, yeah. So Tencent, I think, owned pieces of it. You're saying that they just can't be a, prof- a for-profit business anymore if they're in the education space. And then I think there are yeah. more regulations on, on extra care, extra after-school education for kids, which I was yeah. surprised by. I would have thought that they would want more of that. I understand that the video game ban, but um, I would have thought that they'd want more after-school education. Oh, go figure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't, but it doesn't affect your business. It's not, does it allow you to hire more easily now? Because are, were you still fishing in the same pool of teachers in the Philippines or is it not impacting your business at all? Uh, so BitKid, they actually only hire teachers in North America. So okay. probably not a huge impact for us. Although we do hire in North America as well. Uh, but the rest other Chinese schools who did uh, higher in Philippines. So we do expect an uh, influx of uh, teachers, I would say, within the next uh, six to 12 months. All right. Congratulations on the success of the business. Um, it's amazing to see what's possible in, in education for kids. We used to hear about these small businesses that would turn into mega businesses, teaching things like the SATs and, uh, and a few other classes. Now I'm seeing in more and more topics that online education is going to start to take over ed- education in general. I'm excited to see. What uh, totally. Doing. And, and make, makes perfect sense. Uh, I, I think really the future, you know, uh, the, the model of as before was really trying to find the best school for your kid possible. And I think the future model will be just, you know, go to any school and yeah. just pick and choose the best uh, additional education online for your kid. Yeah. You know, you can have Harvard professors teaching, you know, uh, teaching your right. kid if you want to, right? And it's totally accessible. Uh, even if you live in, you know, I don't know, Nepal or <laughs> yeah. uh, Indonesia, you can yeah. still do it. 
All right, Max, thank you so much for being on here. It's Nova Kid, and the website is novakidschool.com. And I want to thank two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first, if you need a website hosted, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. The second, when you need uh, to do online marketing well, I'm going to let you use for free SEMrush. Go to mixergy.com slash SEMrush. Max, continued success. Impressive. Really thank impressive. you very much.